Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to the Dion Gordon Podcast. I'm your host, the connoisseur of common sense, the purveyor of authenticity, the man who calls it right down the middle, Dion Tyree Gordon. Enough of the bullshit. Let's get to work. Well, I've been down in the dumps. I've been despondent, apoplectic, crestfallen, depressed. Still, almost two weeks after the fact of my beloved San Francisco 49ers losing an NFC Championship game, that low-life scumbag Jimmy Garoppolo throwing the season away, playing ultimate frisbee with the game and his legacy in the season on the line. The man who I now disrespectfully refer to as Lee Harvey Garoppolo and Jimmy Wilkes Booth because he tried to assassinate Debo Samuel multiple times during that game and has tried to assassinate many of, of his receivers in the past five years. He's been the quarterback for the 49ers. Ruined the entire season, and I'm still depressed about it. The Super Bowl was this Sunday. I barely even give a shit. I've, you know, I've I've spoken about this on the podcast before, man. My daily routine for watching television is usually centered around the NFL Network. Well, ever since the NFC Championship game, I've actively avoided the NFL Network, other than watching the Senior Bowl last Saturday, a college football All Star game. I have not watched much NFL Network because I don't want to see or hear any talk, any positive talk about the Los Angeles Rams. I don't, I don't want to hear that shit. The 49ers beat both teams who are about to play in the Super Bowl. The Bengals and the Rams beat the Rams twice this season. And yet the Niners are not playing in the Super Bowl because that low-life scumbag, that jackass, that jabroni, Jimmy Wilkes Booth, Lee Harvey Garoppolo, Teddy Bridgewater with privilege, overpaid Trevor Simeon, the less shittier version of Matt Castle cost the 49ers an opportunity to go play for their sixth Lombardi trophy this Sunday in Super Bowl 56. So I really have not been too invested in the upcoming Super Bowl. I was going to do a Super Bowl preview. Truthfully, I don't fucking care. I don't give that much of a shit. The only thing I will say is I hope, sincerely hope, the Cincinnati Bengals win this game. I'm not one of these fucking fans who wants to see the team that beat my team go win a championship. I don't know what's wrong with people. If you think that way, if you believe that, you're a fucking, I don't know what to say about you. You're a fucking idiot. I don't want to see nothing positive happen to someone who beat my team. No, I want you to fail. I want you to lose. I hope the Bengals win this game 48-0 this Sunday. I hope the Rams get embarrassed, get emasculated, eviscerated. I hope they get run off their own field. It's probably not going to happen. Matter of fact, I think the Rams are going to win the game. And that's the reason why I don't even want to – I can't believe I'm about to say this because I consider the Super Bowl a holiday – but I really don't even fucking care about the Super Bowl. I barely even want to watch it. When push comes to shove, I'm going to end up watching it because it's the Super Bowl. It's a national holiday for men, for people of all ages and people of all genders and ethnicities and so on and so forth. It's a national holiday, or at least it should be. It's the Super Bowl. It's the culmination of the NFL season. It's the season finale of professional football for the 2021-2022 season. But I'm bitter. I'm pissed off, I'm angry, I'm upset, I'm depressed, all the above. My favorite team, the San Francisco 49ers, could be and should be playing in this game this Sunday. But once again, that overrated douchebag, Jimmy Garoppolo, ruined everything and cost the 49ers an opportunity to play in this upcoming Super Bowl, Super Bowl 56. He ruined it. And I'm still upset about it. It's almost two weeks after the fact. I, it's going to take me a while to get over this. And the fact that I believe the Rams are going to win, I really don't want to see that shit. It's no different than when the Seahawks beat the 49ers in the 2013 NFC Championship game about nine years ago. I, didn't want, I watched the first half of that game. I was still in the Navy. I was over in Japan. You know, a bunch of guys banging on my fucking door early in the morning because I'm over in Japan. There's a 16-hour time difference. The game comes on like Monday morning or whatever. The game was played on Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening in the States. The game comes on Monday morning in Japan. Dudes are banging on my door. Come on, Gordon. Come watch the game with us, man, bro. Come on. Come on, hang out with us. You know, motherfuckers are running around drunk as hell and everything. I'm in my room. I'm actively trying to avoid this game. I watched the first half of the game because I'm a football fan. 
I'm a football nerd, a self-professed football nerd. So I watched the first half of the game begrudgingly, and I knew the game was going to be over. As soon as Manny Ramirez snapped that ball over Peyton Manning's head and the ball went out the back of the end zone, resulting in a safety for the Seattle Seahawks, I knew right then and there this is not going to end well for the Denver Broncos. They're about to get mollywopped. They're about to get a mud hole stomped in them and walked dry by the Seattle Seahawks. And as a San Francisco 49er fan, I don't want to see this shit because the same exact thing that applies now applied back then. If the Niners had gone to Super Bowl 48, they would have beaten the dog shit out the Denver Broncos the same exact way the Seattle Seahawks did those loathsome, detestable, despicable Seattle Seahawks killed the Denver Broncos that in that game 43 to 8. 43 to 8. The Broncos that season led the NFL in points scored. They set a record like 600 fucking points scored that season. And the Seahawks, the Legion of Boom in their heyday. Just walked all over Denver in this game. Cam Chancellor just knocking the bejesus out of the late great Demarius Thomas set the tone in that game. After that, I cut that game off after Percy Harvin ran back the second half kickoff. I said enough of this shit. I'm not watching this. I don't want to see Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson and Marshawn Lynch at the the trophy presentation after the game. I don't want to see that green and blue confetti raining down from the skies. I don't want to see these guys laughing and smiling and happy and jovial about their their Super Bowl victory. I don't want to see that shit. That shouldn't be Pete Carroll, Russell Wilson, and Marshawn Lynch. That should be Jim Harbaugh, Colin Kaepernick, and Frank Gore celebrating on the podium at the Lombardi Trophy presentation after the victory in Super Bowl 48 for the 49ers. That's how that game should have ended. But it wasn't meant to be. We lost to the Seahawks in the NFC Championship game, and they went on to Super Bowl 48 and absolutely kicked the shit out of the Denver Broncos in that game. They beat earth, wind, fire, and ice out of the Denver Broncos in Super Bowl 48, and it pissed me off. I didn't want to see it. So fast forward to right now. If the Rams do win, and I think they will, I don't want to see that shit. If they do win the game which I believe they will. Matter of fact, I'll go ahead and give you the score. Rams 31, Bengals 29. If that comes to fruition, if that rings true, I'm cutting the game off immediately after the game is technically over. When I see four zeros on the clock after the fourth quarter is over, I'm cutting that shit off. I do not want to see this. I don't want to see Matt Stafford and Cooper Cup and Odell Beckham and Aaron Donald celebrating with blue and gold confetti falling down and they get the Lombardi. I don't want to see Sean McVay holding the Lombardi trophy. Fuck him. Fuck that Hank Scorpio looking motherfucker. I don't want to see that shit. I need Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyce, C.J. Uzama, Joe Mixon. I need these guys to play the game of their life this Sunday. I think the Rams are going to win. I hope the Bengals win with the utmost sincerity, with everything, with every fiber in my being. I need the Bengals to win this game. I don't want to see a division rival win a championship. There are people who walk this earth who think, well, I root for the NFC team. I root for the NFC West team. No, 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 no. If you take something away from me, I don't want you to have anything. I'm bitter. I'm petty. I'm an asshole. I'll be the first person to admit it. If you take something away from me, I don't want you to have shit. I want you to get fucked up. I want something to be taken away from you. I want you to get hurt. I'm that kind of person. I'm bitter, like I said. I don't want the Rams to win the Super Bowl. You fucking crazy? Hell no. No, no, no. But I think it's going to happen. And the biggest reason is the matchup up front. As I've always said on this podcast, something I truly believe in, Football is, has, always will be a game about the trenches, about blocking and tackling. Whoever can block and tackle better is going to win the football game. And I look at the Cincinnati Bengals, and I look at their offensive line, the way they've struggled the entire season. Joe Burrow has now been sacked 62 times this season, 51 times in the regular season. He got sacked nine times, nine times in one game against the Tennessee Titans, a divisional round playoff game, and Joe Burrow was sacked nine times. As talented and as good as he is, and trust me, 
Joe Burrow, I'm going to go on the limb and say this right now. Joe Burrow is a top five quarterback in the NFL right now. He is special. He is awesome. He is amazing. He's been that way since 2019 LSU. His teammate on that 2019 LSU squad, Jamar Chase, I think already is in the conversation for top five receiver in the NFL. They're loaded. The Bengals are a good quality football team. And I will apologize to the Bengals because I said on this podcast months ago, I think the Bengals are a good football team, but they don't know how to win yet. They're too immature. They're too young. They don't know what they don't know. Well, I was wrong. That's the first of many apologies on this particular episode of the Deion Gordon podcast. I was flagrantly wrong. I said the Bengals don't know how to win. Well, clearly they do. They're in the Super Bowl, and they have a 50-50 chance of being champions. And I really sincerely, truthfully, deeply, madly hope they win the fucking Super Bowl because I don't want to see the Rams win the Super Bowl. I don't want to see the Rams win. I don't want to see the Seahawks win. I don't want to see the Cardinals win. No. If you play in the NFC West, fuck you. I don't want to see you win anything. Niners, and that's it. The Cow- and that extends, that extends to the Cowboys and the Packers, too. I don't want to see any rivals of the 49ers ever win a Super Bowl. No. But unfortunately, I feel like it's going to happen this Sunday because the Tennessee Titans have a very good defensive front and a very good defense in general. And Jeffrey Simmons is a monster at defensive tackle for the Tennessee Titans. And they got the burrow nine times. So what's going to happen against the Rams front? Aaron Donald is better than Jeffrey Simmons. As quality of a football player as Jeffrey Simmons is, and he's a monster, he's, he's elite, he's incredible, he's a great football player. As great as he is, Aaron Donald is even better. And they got Vaughn Miller, and they got Leonard Floyd, and Sean Robinson. This is a great defensive front that the Rams have. They are built to rush the quarterback. And I feel like the Niners made them a tougher football team. They grew up against us. They realized what it means to play tough, grown man football and win the battle up front. They took it personal, and rightfully so. You lose to a team six times in a row, you should definitely take it personal. And they did, and they answered the challenge. And I feel like that's going to be the the deciding factor in this game. The Rams' defensive front is going to overwhelm the Bengals' offensive line and get to Joe Burrow and cause problems and wreak havoc, and that'll be enough to win the game. I think Bengals are going to make plays, like I said. you know They can get to at least 29 points, but the Rams can get to 31 points and unfortunately win the Super Bowl. So there it is. There's my Super Bowl preview. I feel like the Rams are going to win, and I'm going to be very sad, Uh, even more sad than what I already am right now because the 49ers are not playing in the Super Bowl despite the fact that they had a 10-point lead in the NFC Championship game, and they've beaten both Super Bowl participants. But thanks to Jimmy Wilkes Booth and Lee Harvey Garoppolo, the Niners are not going to play in the Super Bowl this Sunday. So with that being said, we'll move on to other sports. Fortunately, there are other sports going on. This episode of the Deion Gordon podcast is about primarily about the NBA trade deadline. I just wanted to get the Super Bowl preview in there first and hurry up and get that out the way. But this this episode is devoted to primarily the NBA, the National Basketball Association, and the trade deadline. One thing I've realized about the NBA in the past five or six or ten years or so is that the offseason and the trades and the free agency – in some ways, is more relevant and more compelling than the actual games being played themselves. You heard more talk today about the trade deadline and the comings and goings and the movers and shakers than you heard about actual basketball games being played. That's, that's where the NBA is right now. It's more about the offseason and off-court than it is about the on-the-court because let's go ahead and call it where it is. That's what we do over here on the Deion Gordon podcast. Cut the bullshit get straight to the fucking point. The NBA on-court product really doesn't heat up until we get to the playoffs. We're not even at the All-Star break yet. That's, that's around the corner. That's coming up in about two weeks, the week after the Super Bowl. But it really doesn't start to be, you know, compelling television and captivating television until we get to April, May, and June. The first couple months of the season for the NBA is nice. I pay attention. I watch. But for me, personally, I'm more... I'm more in tune and more invested with the NFL, with college football, football in general. 
I'm just very much in tune to, to football. And basketball is kind of in the back burner. I'm watching. I'm paying attention. I notice what's going on. I'm keeping up with what's going on. But really, it hasn't come to the forefront yet. But now that my beloved Niners have been knocked out and there's only one more NFL game left, now I'm starting to really turn back into basketball. So we'll talk about basketball on this particular podcast. And we'll talk about basketball and more podcasts coming up after this. Uh, and from now to the NBA Finals. So here it goes. The trade deadline, the big trade of the day. The Brooklyn Nets send James Harden to the Philadelphia 76ers for Ben Simmons, a guy who was sat out the entire season and reportedly left $19 million on the table. Ben Simmons didn't want to play basketball this season because his feelings got hurt. Aw, poor guy. Mental health is a real problem. Ben Simmons' mental health was so affected by all the mean things that fans and media, both mainstream media and podcast assholes like myself and coaches and players, all the mean, nasty tweets and everything else, all the IG messages and Facebook comments about the way that he played basketball last season, in particular the completely abysmal way that he played in that semifinal series against the Atlanta Hawks, that hurt him so badly that he left $19 million on the table this season and refused to play basketball for the Philadelphia 76ers, thus facilitating the trade that happened today. Now, normally, I don't like participating in colorism but because I feel like that's, that's just something that divides black people even further. But I just got called the way I see it. Ben Simmons was acting very light-skinned about all the scrutiny that he incurred based on his level of performance in last year's NBA playoffs. Uh, you weren't good, my dude. You weren't good at all. You couldn't shoot. You couldn't make open jump shots. You couldn't make free throws. You willingly turned down open jump shots. You had open dunks at the basket. You passed instead of going up for the dunk because you were afraid of being fouled. You weren't good. Your performance was lacking. You shit the bed. You failed. You came up short. You were garbage. Let's call it what it is. And this is a guy who went after Shaquille O'Neal. It's not often I, I agree with Shaquille O'Neal, but when Shaq went on TV on his podcast or whatever and called Ben Simmons a baby, I agreed. I agreed wholeheartedly with the big Aristotle. Ben Simmons was acting like a baby, a light-skinned baby. And then the reports are, according to Shaq anyway, that Ben Simmons crept up in Shaquille O'Neal's DMs? What are we doing? We got grown men sliding in other grown men's DMs to combat them because they went on TV and spoke ill about them? Are you fucking serious? All these brothers run in the same circles. They're all NBA ball players or ex-NBA ball players. You know the same people. Get his phone number. Or better yet, if it really meant that much to you, go down to Atlanta, Georgia, outside of Turner TNT Sports Studios, and confront Shaquille O'Neal one-on-one. You're not playing basketball. You haven't played all season. You have nothing else to do right now. If Shaq's words really pissed you off that much, go confront him. But don't slide in his DM. That's some bitch-ass shit, man. If you're listening, first of all, I appreciate the listen. Clearly, you do have good taste in some department. You don't have good taste in women because you keep fucking around with these Kardashians. You don't have good taste as far as your money is concerned because you left $19 million on the table. But you do have good taste in podcasts that you listen to. So thank you for listening to the Dion Gordon Podcast. I appreciate it. But I would advise you to never leave that much money on the table and stop being a bitch. Stop being a bitch. People are going to say mean things about you. Who cares? You're rich. You get paid to play basketball for a living. You're seven feet tall and you can't teach that. If people talk shit about you, fuck them. Go play basketball. Work on your jump shot. Develop some moves. Learn how to play in the post. But in the meantime, the very least you can do is stop creeping in another grown man's DMs, Ben Simmons. That's quite zesty. Stop doing that. Now let's get back to the trade itself. Officially, the Brooklyn Nets and Philadelphia 76ers agreed to a blockbuster deal just hours before the trade deadline ended with James Harden and Paul Millsap going to Philadelphia in exchange for Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, Andre Drummond, two first-round draft picks the teams announced on Thursday. My initial reaction to this is that I think Brooklyn won that deal. I think Brooklyn got the better of that deal. You get Seth Curry, 
a great perimeter shooter in his own right, not as good as his brother. Then again, no one else is. But Seth Curry is a very premier, elite perimeter three-point shooter in his own right. He's no slouch. So now if you're Brooklyn, you got Seth Curry to go with Patty Mills and Joe Harris. So you got some guys on the perimeter that can shoot, that can get buckets for you. And Ben Simmons, even though Ben Simmons can't shoot what he is good at, besides playmaking ability and passing the basketball, he's a very he's an elite perimeter wing defender, which is something that Brooklyn lacked. They needed someone that can guard on the perimeter, and Ben Simmons at the very least can do that and can do it at a very high level. So to me, this is a win for Brooklyn, just based on my initial reaction, just looking at it on paper. We'll have to see how it how it plays out in real life. My only issue with – well, I got quite a few issues with Brooklyn. Um, Brooklyn, to me, has too many hypotheticals, too many ifs. If Kevin Durant can get healthy and stay healthy, if Kyrie Irving can stay healthy, if Kyrie Irving gets vaccinated, if New York City lifts their vaccination policy so he doesn't have to get vaccinated, if Steve Nash can figure out his rotations, if Joe Harris can show up in the playoffs because he was completely non-existent in last year's playoffs – if Ben Simmons can shoot, if Ben Simmons is motivated, if Ben Simmons is in shape, it's a lot of ifs with the Brooklyn Nets. On paper, just looking at the names on the roster, this team should not only make the NBA Finals, they should win the NBA Finals. This was a much-needed trade. They upgraded. Andre Drummond's a solid big man. He's playing much better basketball this season than what he did last year for the Lakers. Um, and Brooklyn's needed a solid quality big man ever since they got rid of Jared Allen and sent him to the Cleveland Cavaliers, the surprising Cleveland Cavaliers who are playing great basketball so far this season. So Brooklyn, to me, this is a win-win. On Philadelphia's end, I worry about Tobias Harris and Tyrese Maxey, their shots and their usage now that James Harden is going to come into the equation because James Harden, as we all know, is a guy who needs to have the ball in his hands. Now, he showed playing in Brooklyn. For the 16 games that Brooklyn had all three of the big three on the floor together, Kyrie, Harden, and Kevin Durant, they were 13-3 and three in the 16 games that all three of those brothers were on the court together. James Harden showed that he can be a playmaker. He can distribute the basketball to other people. He can fall back. He doesn't have to take all the shots. He showed he can do that. He has that playmaking ability in his game. So I just... I'm curious to see how it's going to happen. Also playing alongside Joel Embiid, who's clearly the best player on that team. And nothing has changed. Even with the addition of James Harden, Joel Embiid is still the best basketball player on the Philadelphia 76ers roster. So there's still there's a lot of question marks with them as well. There's question marks with both teams. It's going to be very, very interesting to see how it all pans out. Uh, as I said, the trade deadline, the free agency, the off-the-court aspect of the NBA is more captivating than what you see on the court. So it's, it's going to be a lot to look at and a lot to pay attention to going forward. I'll go ahead and ask this question, though, because this, this is what caught me about the trade. This was the first thing I thought about when I heard about the trade. Now, the trade had been rumored and been talked about for weeks, so it's not like it was surprising or shocking or breaking news or whatever. It was, a, it was more a matter of formality than anything else. Like People knew this trade was going to happen. But what really caught me about this trade was, have you ever seen two players of this caliber, two superstar basketball players, quotation marks around the word superstar, being dealt for each other from two teams who both play in the same division? The 76ers and the Nets both play in the Atlantic division. Rarely, if ever, you don't ever, this might be unprecedented, do you see two teams in the same division trade perennial all-star players like this to another team in the same division. What does that say about James Harden and Ben Simmons? Because you got to play against that opposing team about four times per season. So once again, what does that say? Does it say that Philadelphia isn't worried about having to play against Ben Simmons? Does it say that Brooklyn isn't worried about having to play against James Harden? I've never seen anything like this before. I've never seen two players on that level of James Harden and, and uh, Ben Simmons, two perennial all-star players, get traded from one team to another team that plays in the same division. I, For me personally, I might have to research this. I've never seen that before. It's, uh, like I said, it's unprecedented. And usually you don't see two players of that stature get traded within the same conference. 
usually if you want to trade James Harden, you would deal him to a team in the Western Conference. So you ain't got to deal with him that much. So if you do have to see him, it's, it's, it's in the NBA Finals. Same thing with Ben in Philadelphia. They were trying to trade him to Sacramento. Those were the rumors I kept hearing was that Philadelphia was trying to get rid of Ben Simmons and send him all the way out to the West Coast to the woefully inept, the perennially consistently shit Sacramento Kings, a team so trash they wear jerseys to have the words Sacktown on them. Pause if necessary. Tyrese Halliburton was traded from Sacramento to Indiana for Domitian Sabonis. So many people were caught off guard by that. Halliburton actually wants to play for the Sacramento Kings. That's a salute to him for being loyal. But if I was Halliburton, I'd be grateful for the fact that I no longer have to be a grown-ass man running up and down a basketball court with a jersey that says Sacktown on the front of it. Sacktown. Pause. It's like, tell me you're a worthless clown Fugazi NBA organization without telling me you're a worthless clown Fugazi NBA organization. You have the words Sacktown on your jersey. You have no identity. You haven't been to the playoffs since like 2004 or whatever. Like Mike Bibby and Bobby Jackson and Chris Webber and Vladi Divac, Lawrence Funderburg. Guys like that. Pedro Stojakovic, Hidu Turkoglu. Like, when is the last time the Sacramento Kings made the playoffs? Have they made the playoffs in high-definition television? I don't think they have. They're a standard deaf basketball team. They're a joke. They have no color scheme. I went to a Sacramento Kings game about three years ago. They played against San Antonio. They actually won the game. Miraculously, they won a basketball game. But their jerseys and their court didn't match up with each other. I look up in the rafters. They have a banner like one, like a couple of lonely ass banners, but one banner st stood out in particular to me. It was a attendance championship banner for, for leading the NBA in attendance in like 2003 or whatever. I'm like, what kind of fucking joke ass team puts up an attendance banner? Get the Sacramento Kings the fuck out of here. Free De'Aaron Fox. Can we do that? This guy's career is wasting away and going to shit. Free De'Aaron Fox. I'm about to put that on a t-shirt. Try to make some money off that. Free De'Aaron Fox. Let's get this man off the Sacramento Kings and put him on a real basketball team so his talents can actually be used for once because he is wasting away with the Sacramento Kings. C.J. McCollum no longer has to do that. He has been traded from the Portland Trailblazers to the New Orleans Pelicans. Unfortunately, Damian Lillard still has to waste away, for now anyway, with the Portland Trailblazers. It was about time, man. The time that whole CJ, Damian Lillard duo had run its course, they had gone as far as they possibly can go. The farthest they went in the playoffs as a collective was 2019 and got to the Western Conference Finals and got swept by the Golden State Warriors. That was about as far as it can go. You're never going to win with these guys. They're both undersized guards. They're fun to watch. They're great players. But they're not, they're not tall enough. They're not big enough. You can't win with those guys being at the forefront of your team. And it's unfortunate this season that Portland is, appears to be tanking anyway. Uh, they're not playing well, although they beat my shitty L.A. Lakers. More on that, trust me. I'm about to get to that in a little bit. They beat the absolutely decrepit L.A. Lakers the other night with a G League team and guys who work for Uber Eats. But in the grand spectrum of everything, it appears as if the Portland Trailblazers are sort of tanking this season. They're not playing well. They're getting rid of people now. It's a shame because they got, they got a black coach now in Chauncey Billups. And it's a shame to see a black coach have to endure all this. You know, you finally get an opportunity or you, you get your first opportunity to be a head coach. And you think it's a good situation because you have respectful, respectful and respectable quality professional basketball players in C.J. McCollum and Damian Lillard. And it hasn't worked out. It's not going to work out. And it's only a matter of time. Hopefully until Dame gets dealt somewhere else. Dame has always been loyal to Portland. On one hand, I respect that. A part of me commends him for doing that. Because there's so many guys, especially star players in the NBA, who want to jump from one team to another. I mean, you got guys who've been in the league like eight, nine, ten years who've already played for like four or five different teams. They're on a different roster every year. And it's kind of annoying, honestly, as an old school basketball fan, someone who grew up watching and loving the sport, who's, who's accustomed to seeing guys 
play for one team for like 10 or 12 years, and now you got all these guys just jumping from one squad to another. But it was it was refreshing to see a guy like Damian Lillard play for one organization his whole career. CJ McCollum, too. Uh, Steph Curry with Golden State. That whole Golden State nucleus, Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Draymond Green, they've only worn one uniform their whole career. They've been with Golden State their whole career. And I respect that. I really do. I commend that a lot. I appreciate that as a basketball fan, as a basketball purist. But in the case of Damian Lillard, one of my favorite players in the NBA, I think it's time. I think it's long past time. I want to see him go somewhere else where he can be in a position to win a championship because it's not going to happen in Portland. It never will happen in Portland. And the time is now, man. It's time for Dame to go while you're still young enough to still play at a high level and contribute to a potential championship basketball team but speaking of the Portland Trailblazers I already kind of alluded to this the aforementioned Los Angeles Lakers my favorite basketball team I'm a California dude at heart I said that wrong I'm a Maryland dude at heart it's where I'm born and raised all right I never lost that east coast ruggedness about myself that east coast hostility I'm still the east coast dude through and through but my favorite sports teams play in the state that I currently reside in, the state of California. One team, my beloved 49ers, reside in the California Bay Area, and my favorite basketball team forever and always reside in Southern California. The 17-time NBA World Heavyweight Champion, Los Angeles Lakers. Emphasis on the word loss because they lose a lot of fucking basketball games nowadays, and they lost the other night to the pathetic Portland Trailblazers, 107-105, with LeBron James and Anthony Davis on the court. Russell Westbrook, conspicuous by his absence, did not play. You can't blame this one on Russ. You can blame a lot of the other ones on Russ. You can't blame that one on Russ. They lost to the fucking Trailblazers with LeBron and AD on the floor. What This team sucks. Let's call it let's call it what it is. Let's call it how we see it. The man who calls it right down the middle. I'm not ashamed or afraid to say it. My favorite basketball team sucks. They are the drizzling shits. They are fucking terrible. I blame LeBron James for all this. LeBron is playing at a high level. He's still the best player on the team. He'll go out there and get his numbers. He's 37, doesn't appear to be slowing down at all. He still runs as fast as he always did. He still jumps as high as he always did. He's still an incredible athlete. And God bless him. The guy invests $2 million a year into his body, the maintenance of his body to still perform and play at a high level. LeBron is still a top three player in the NBA right now. I'll go ahead and say it. I don't mind saying it. LeBron is still an incredible basketball player, and that has to be acknowledged That should be saluted. What he's doing right now at this stage of his career is remarkable. He's been in the NBA. This is year 19, year 20s, 37. A lot of tread on those tires, man. This guy's played a lot of basketball. This guy's been to 10 NBA finals, played for the Olympic team three times. This dude's played a lot of basketball, and he's still able to perform the way he's performing right now. I salute it. I commend it. When I don't salute and when I don't commend, are the roster moves that have been made with LeBron James on the roster. And let's not kid ourselves, make no mistake about it, Rob Palenka is the GM of the Lakers in name only. LeBron James pulls a lot of strings behind the scenes. And ever since when LeBron got to the Lakers in 2019, it was a good, healthy, young core, young nucleus already in place with Brandon Ingram and Lonzo Ball, Alex Caruso, Josh Hart, Zubach, Ivanka Zubach as well. Good quality young basketball players. All those guys are gone. All those guys are currently playing for other basketball teams. They gave up like four first-round draft picks to bring in Anthony Davis, and yeah, it worked for one season to win a fraudulent COVID-19 Black Lives Matter pandemic bubble championship sponsored by Disney. It worked for one year to win a WWE championship. It's almost as if the Lakers cashed in the Money in the Bank briefcase and took advantage of an NBA that was down and already gotten the shit beat out of him, like Edge in New Year's Revolution in 2006 when he cashed in on John Cena. That's what the Lakers kind of did. You cashed in on the NBA being in shambles. Somebody had to win it, and it was you. It was the L.A. Lakers. As a true diehard Laker fan, people can get mad when I say this. I don't even acknowledge that championship. It's almost like that championship didn't happen. 
But technically, it's in the books. It counts. The 2020 NBA champions are the Los Angeles Lakers. But what do we really have to show for it? What's the future of the Lakers look like? Where are we at right now? Currently the ninth seed in the NBA Western Conference. 26 and 30, 19 and a half games out of first place in the Western Conference behind the first place Phoenix Suns. 3 and 7 in the last 10 games are my Los Angeles Lakers. Defensively, the Lakers rank 27th in the NBA. There are 30 teams in the National Basketball Association, and the Lakers are 27th in defensive ranking. They suck. They are garbage. They are awful. There's nothing good about the L.A. Lakers right now. Listen to LeBron in the postgame. He's more concerned with the wine he's going to drink after the game. There's one thing, there's one of the things LeBron and I share in common. He's a wine enthusiast. I'm a wine enthusiast. I enjoy having a nice glass of Pinot or Cabernet or Chablis or whatever. LeBron's the same thing. I prefer red wine over white wine. I think LeBron does too. This is not a personal vendetta with LeBron James. I think he's, like I said earlier, one of still a top three, a top five player in the NBA. My issue is with LeBron James, the general manager, and the guy pulling the strings behind the scenes and the way the young core, the young nucleus of the Los Angeles Lakers was blown the fuck up. And now currently in 2022, we have a roster of nothing. We have a 26-30 and 30 basketball team that can't guard anybody, can't shoot, doesn't play well cohesively. An old, aging, prehistoric, geriatric roster of guys on the wrong side of 30. I said this before the season started. LeBron is 37. Dwight Howard is about 35. DeAndre Jordan about 35. Westbrook, 33. Kent Bazemore, who somehow still in the NBA, is 32. Rondo, who was on the team before being traded to, to Cleveland. Trevor Ariza. I mean, we got a bunch of guys who should probably be in the big three playing for Ice Cube right now. A lot of dudes on the wrong side of 30. The Lakers are so fucked up, and this is no disrespect, no shade, but Malik Monk is the third best option on the L.A. Lakers right now. It was supposed to be Westbrook. It was supposed to be Westbrook. It is not working it never was going to work. I said this before the season started. The construct and the makeup of this basketball team is nonsensical. Unless the NBA changed the rules and said you are now allowed to play with two basketballs at once, how the fuck can LeBron James and Russell Westbrook play basketball together? How can both of these entities coexist on a basketball court at the same exact time? LeBron is ball dominant. Westbrook is ball dominant. The rules of the game say you are only allowed to play basketball with one basketball at a time. So if you have Westbrook and LeBron on the court, that means one dude is going to have to play off the ball. Neither of these men can really shoot that well, especially Westbrook. LeBron dominates the basketball. LeBron dominates the team. LeBron dominates the entire league. LeBron is not going to take a backseat to Westbrook. No, it's going to be the other way around. LeBron is the number one guy in the NBA as far as star power and appeal and power and authority is concerned. He ain't taking a backseat to anybody. Russell Westbrook is going to have to come in and assimilate himself to the L.A. Lakers, and it hasn't happened. It probably won't happen because Westbrook can't shoot. So LeBron has the ball in his hands for 15, 20 seconds in the shot clock. What is Westbrook doing? Playing off the ball. The other night I'm watching the game, he's in the corner as if he's waiting for a pass for a corner three. You can't make that shot. That's not your game. You're not Bruce Bowen. You're not. That's not what you're good at. Why are you in the corner? Oh, I know, because LeBron has the ball at the top of the key at the perimeter, dribbling the air out the ball, and all you can do is stand over in the corner and look like a fucking doofus. You are not a perimeter jump shooter. You never have been at any juncture of your career. It's not going to all of a sudden kick in right now. LeBron and Westbrook can't play together. This should have been abundantly clear to anyone with any sense, any shred of intelligence. How do you put both of these guys on the court together and expect positive things to happen? 
For the season, Russell Westbrook is averaging 18.3 points per game. That's the lowest points per game average for Westbrook since his second season in the NBA. For Oklahoma City, we averaged 16.1 points a game. Mind you, this is a two-time former scoring champion. This is a nine-time NBA All-Star. This is a former league MVP. This is a guy who has averaged a triple-double for a number of seasons. This is a guy who will be a first-ballot pro basketball Hall of Famer. And this season, he is averaging 18.3 points per game. He is shooting 44% from the field. He is averaging 4.1 turnovers per game. There have been a number of games this season where Westbrook had more turnovers than shots made. It's gotten so bad for Russ the absolutely garbage Sacramento Kings, who I referenced earlier, were trolling him in a, in a road game the Lakers had against Sacramento about a month ago. They were trolling Russell Westbrook. You fall into the dregs and deaths of society as a basketball player when you're getting trolled by a basketball team that has the words Sacktown on the front of their jersey. They're playing you're as cold as ice every time you miss a shot. The announcers are shitting on you. Mark Jones, who does play-by-play for the Sacramento Kings, are saying that you taking a jump shot is a good thing for the defense. That's the look you want. That's what he said, word for word, verbatim. That's what Mark Jones, the great Mark Jones, by the way. I think it's a toss-up between Mark Jones and Mike Breen in regards to who is the best basketball play-by-play guy working in the business today. That's a different conversation. Mark Jones is, is incredible. I love Mark Jones, both on NBA basketball and college football. That's a different story. But he said flat out, that's the look you want. Westbrook taking an open jump shot. You're getting clowned and trolled by the fucking Sacramento Kings. Your own home crowd at Staples Center. Oops, my bad. Crypto.com Center. Corporate sponsorship. They're booing you. They're booing you at home and taking a step further in a game last Saturday versus the New York Knicks, a team that's even more garbage. The New York Knicks, you're open for a three and the crowd is yelling no, as if to say no, don't shoot it, no. What what happened, Russ? It happens quick. The fall off has been tremendous. I'm not even sure if he's completely fallen off. This is kind of who he's always been, especially the past couple of years. He played in Houston a couple of years ago and couldn't shoot. Matter of fact, he played in that bubble in the second round playoff series against the Lakers. The Lakers were not even defending him. They were defending Westbrook the same way the Hawks and other teams defended Ben Simmons in last year's playoffs. They were sagging off of him, daring him to shoot, knowing that he can't shoot. They're giving this man six, seven feet of space on perimeter jump shots. As if to say, go ahead, motherfucker, I know you can't make it. Go ahead, take as many shots as you want to. You can't get to the paint. We won't let you do that. But you want to take a perimeter jump shot and be my guest. So if you're the Lakers, and that's how you defended this guy two, three years ago, why would you bring the same guy in? Did he get better? No. Is he a better perimeter jump shooter now than he was in 2020? No. He can't shoot. He's the bad guy in the movie. If Russell Westbrook had shot at Tupac, Tupac would still be alive. He can't shoot. Same thing for Ben Simmons. These guys are in the NBA, the highest level of basketball. They can't shoot. You knew this about him, but you opted to bring him in anyway for that heavy of a price tag. Like $47 million you got to pay this guy per year. And for what? What have you gotten out of him this season? Missed shots? Horrendous turnovers? Dribbling the ball directly into four people in the paint? and then kicking the ball back out to the perimeter, turning the ball over, which leads to an easy layup or a dunk for the opposing team. What have you gotten? Backcourt violations, dribbling the ball off his foot, air balls at the free throw line, trying to use the backboard to make a shot, hitting the top of the backboard, hitting the shot clock one time. What have you gotten if you're the L.A. Lakers in exchange for Russell Westbrook this season? Nothing. Futility is what you've gotten. Ineptitude is what you've gotten. The Lakers as a whole are so terrible and they can't even trade people before the trade deadline. They have no assets that anybody wants. 
all the talk, all the speculation was that the Lakers would trade Westbrook before the trade deadline. Well, that's coming gone. That was Thursday at 3 o'clock, 12 o'clock out here on the West Coast. That's over with. It's now Friday. That's coming gone. The Lakers couldn't even get rid of people. The Lakers are so terrible. They had no assets that anybody else even wanted. They have no draft picks. You traded four of those to get Anthony Davis. The only guy the Lakers could even try to deal was Taylor Horton Tucker. Taylor Horton Tucker was like the third season of Chappelle's show without Dave Chappelle and the third season of Boondocks without Aaron Magruder. Nobody wanted that. Nobody wanted Taylor Horton Tucker. His value, his stock dramatically declined, as is the case with Westbrook. His stock has dramatically declined. Nobody wanted him, and nobody wanted anyone on the Lakers that was reasonably available. LeBron and AD are not going to be available, but the rest of the roster, they're for sale, and nobody was buying. It was like a yard sale that used tie rack from 1986. Nobody wanted that. Absolutely embarrassing. Um, in other news, on trade deadline day, just to wrap this up, Kristaps uh, Porzingis was dealt from Dallas to the Washington Wizards. For Spencer Dinwiddie and Davis Bertans, I thought Tim Legler had the line of the day when he said not only, he said the reason why people call Porzingis a unicorn is not just because he does special things on the court, but it's also because he's rarely ever seen. Porzingis doesn't play basketball on a regular basis. He's fragile. He's usually hurt. Matter of fact, he has missed the last five games for the Dallas Mavericks with a bone bruise on his knee. As a matter of fact, for the season, Porzingis has only played in 34 out of a possible 55 games. Last season, he played in 43 games. 2019, played in 57 games. 2018, missed the entire season with a torn ACL. They suffered the, the previous season. 2017, played 48 games. He played in 66 games his second year in the NBA and 72 his rookie season. So outside of his first two years in the NBA, Porzingis has missed more basketball than he's played. That's obviously a problem for a guy who's seven feet three, seven foot three, I should say, with long legs and bad knees already. He's had surgery on both of his knees. It does the long-term prospects for his career don't look well. He's a, he's a quality basketball player, he's a talented basketball player. But when you're hurt, when you're beat up, when you lack durability, that's a massive red flag. And Porzingis is someone that I would be leery of if he were on my favorite basketball team. A lot was made and a lot was talked about with Porzingis going to Dallas and forming what people thought was going to be a formidable one-two punch alongside Luka Doncic. It never happened. It never quite panned out or came to fruition, uh, certainly the way that Mavericks fans wanted it to. And it just didn't work out. And today he was traded. In other trade news, there was a deal between Washington and Charlotte where the Hornets received big man Montrez Harrell and the Washington Wizards received Vernon Carey and Ish Smith. Congratulations to Michael Jordan. You finally won a trade. For the first time in your career as an NBA executive, Michael Jordan finally got the better of, an, of a different team, of an opposing team, in a trade. So that's a win for Michael Jordan. That's a great pickup for the Hornets. I think Montrez Harrell can do great things for the Hornets. They kind of needed a big man. So this was a great deal. Like I said, finally Jordan got one. He finally drafted a good player in LaMelo Ball two years ago, and now he's finally won a deal. It's taken Michael Jordan 20 years. He's finally learning how to be a quality NBA executive. Congratulations to the greatest basketball player of all time, by the way who was the complete antithesis as an NBA executive. But today, he finally got over. He finally got one. The GOAT, the greatest basketball player ever, finally made a good deal and made a good trade. Congratulations to him and the Charlotte Hornets. I thought Milwaukee picking up Serge Ibaka was a good deal as well. Brooke Lopez is out right now with back surgery. Milwaukee you know, got off to a slow start, had a lot of guys on the COVID list, but they've ascended up the Eastern Conference rankings to the number two position right now behind only the Miami Heat who are playing great basketball in their own right. Uh, but Milwaukee, I think, is starting to put some things together. Unfortunately, they lost Pat Connaughton tonight to a broken hand, so that sucks. Pat Connaughton's a good player, one of their key contributors to their championship team a year ago. But I like the addition of Ibaka. I like what they're doing. 
trying to form, trying to get some big men up front to go opposite uh, Joel Embiid in a potential playoff matchup. Like I said, once you get Lopez back, you got Ibaka, you got Giannis. It takes a lot of pressure off of Giannis, too, so Giannis doesn't have to guard Joel the majority of the game and probably get in foul trouble and wear himself out. So I like overall what Milwaukee is doing. Uh, hopefully the Connaughton injury isn't, doesn't put him out too long. Hopefully he can be back by the playoffs. Uh, but once again, I like that front court that the, the Milwaukee Bucks are trying to put together of Giannis, and Brooke Lopez and Serge Ibaka and Bobby Portis as well. So overall, I'm a fan of what Milwaukee's doing. They're, to me, they're still the favorite in the Eastern Conference. I, I, I see what Brooklyn and Philadelphia is doing. And I just, like I said earlier about Brooklyn, man, it's too many, too many hypotheticals, too many ifs, too many can this happen, can that happen. With Milwaukee, I know everyone on that team is fully invested. I know there's no distractions over there. All those guys are about business. They're about playing basketball, and they won a championship a year ago. They have championship DNA. They know what it takes to get the job done. So to me, I think Milwaukee is still the favorite in the East because I don't know if Brooklyn can get their shit together. And with Philadelphia, as I said earlier, I don't know how Harden's going to mesh with Tobias Harris and Tyrese Maxey. I don't even know how he and Joel Embiid are going to play together. There's a lot of questions to be answered. I was a little surprised to see that Golden State didn't make any big moves by the deadline. Uh, I guess if it ain't broke, don't fix it. They got the second best record in the NBA Western Conference. I'm looking forward to potentially a Western. I hope this happens. Uh, with all due respect to the Memphis Grizzlies and John Morant, who is must-see TV. John Morant is the most exciting basketball player in the NBA right now. He is worth the price of admission if you watch him play in person. If he's playing, if Memphis has a game on TV, I make it a point of emphasis to sit down and watch him. That brother is cold. John Morant, that's the real deal right there. A lot of talk about him and Zion Williamson when both those guys came into the league. We ain't seen Zion all season. And Zion so far has missed more games in his first three years than Greg Oden did. That's scary. If you're a Pelicans fan, if you're a Zion Williamson fan, that's very scary. But John Morant been on the court on a consistent basis, been balling at a high level, looking like the second coming of Derrick Rose. But with all due respect to the Memphis Grizzlies, the matchup I want to see potentially, hopefully, maybe, in the NBA Western Conference Finals, I want seven games of Phoenix and Golden State. Sign me up for that. Sign me up for that right now. Give me seven games of the Phoenix Suns and the Golden State Warriors. I hope, fingers crossed, we get that down the line and everybody's healthy. Fingers crossed, knock on wood, rabbit's foot, whatever superstition you got. Let's all hope as basketball fans and sports fans, we get seven games of Phoenix and Golden State for the right to play in the NBA final. That's going to be fire. That's going to be good basketball. Um, so all that remains to be seen. And with all that being said, that concludes this episode of the Dion Gordon Podcast. Once again, thank you so much for listening. Eternally grateful, always humble, very much appreciative. Picture me rolling. I'm out.